Well, have you ever embarked on a demolition project? Have you, whether you're leading it or just a participant, gotten out that hammer, that sledgehammer, those tools, and just been about tearing down a wall, doing something, uh, taking something out, removing something, demolishing something that leads to a new opportunity of renovation? A few years ago, I led a team of college students right after Hurricane Katrina, and we went and stayed in the Ninth Ward. And one of the ways we were going to serve people in that community who had experienced the flood and devastation of that uh, hurricane was we did some demolition work. Now, there's something about demolition work. I mean, first of all, if I'm leading the project, the handy project, it better be demolition work because anyone can demolish something. The key is just knowing not to remove the wrong thing. If you tear out and demolish a load-bearing wall, well, you're going to have some issues because that wall was there because it was load-bearing. It supported the rest of the infrastructure. But it's another thing entirely to construct, to construct a home. Anyone can deconstruct, but to then to construct something that can withstand the elements and storms is something altogether. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount that we've been going through for a number of months, he is deconstructing and then constructing. Repeatedly, he says, you've heard that it was said. He's going to deconstruct some ethics and some ways of relating to God and self and others. He's going to deconstruct them. But he doesn't just deconstruct. He doesn't just demolish. He then constructs. You've heard that it was said, but I say to you, He's outlining a way of human flourishing. The whole point of the Sermon on the Mount is not Jesus just giving us some nice pithy teachings, but to reorient our whole life, the home in which we are constructing that can lead to flourishing. And so as we close out the Sermon on the Mount this week and then next week, we're going to close by looking at this metaphor that Jesus gives us. This metaphor of constructing a life that can lead to flourishing. And I want to draw four, four ways we, construct, we can construct this life today. How to construct a life that leads to flourishing. First, the wise builder, the way of flourishing requires that we prepare for the coming storm. The wise builder is discerning of the potential storm that is coming. He's prepared. The foolish builder doesn't take the storm into account. They build on the sand uh, in a way that, a, that the storm comes and it blows it over. There's no foundation. Verse 27, the rain fell, the flood came, the winds beat against that house, and it, what? it collapsed. It was utterly destroyed. When we think of constructing a life, are we constructing a life in such a way that it allows us to withstand the storms that will surely come? Well, Megan and I uh, lived in South Florida. Megan grew up there. She grew up in the Miami and the Fort Lauderdale, West Palm area. And I lived there for a number of years in, in college. And there's something about South Florida that I'm sure you've heard of, and that is that hurricanes will come. And in fact, you're not allowed to build a home or a structure that isn't built up to code to withstand hurricanes. People have obviously learned their lessons. 
A hurricane comes and there are certain ways of constructing that takes into account the, the heavy winds and rainfall that will eventually come. You must, you must build a structure in light of the storms that will come. Are we constructing a life? Are we building a life that takes into account the storms that will come? Now, I don't need to really belabor the point because we are all living in the midst of a storm right now. The, this season of a pandemic where we're all readjusting our life, it has, it has surfaced in many of us this feeling of vulnerability. The feeling of the reality of pain and loss, be it economic or physical and disease. And, and it has amplified the relational conflicts as well. We're all living in the midst of this, this vulnerability where we are reminded that there are storms. And sometimes in life we live within the storm of our own making, but many of us, and eventually all of us will live in the midst of a storm that is completely out of our control. We see this expressed in the reminders these past few weeks of, of racial injustice. That we live in part of the pain and the struggle that many of us feel is we wonder what can we do? It feels like there's a system and how can it be addressed? What action can be taken? We live with the effects of the storm of sin. We feel it socially and we feel it personally. That one day, all of us will experience a storm that we can't weather on our own. And so the wise builder recognizes the storm will come and they're going to construct a life knowing it will. But they're not just prepared, they also listen. The wise builder hears the master builder's instruction. The wise builder understands there's something they need to learn. There's something they need to know in order to construct something that's, that's sturdy. The fool, on the other hand, doesn't listen. The fool doesn't hear. And there's maybe some reason uh, why fools don't listen. Um, some fools don't listen because they just don't think they need instructions. They just don't hear in general. I can be this way. Again, thinking of like construction projects. And, and I've on a number of occasions have launched into a project, fixing a dresser or a particular thing, and I don't take the time to read the instructions or at least all of the instructions, I just start right away and, and I have to go back and rework it. I'm, I'm known, I think I've shared this before, I'm that person you've heard uh, measure twice and cut once. I'm like, who needs to measure? Let's start cutting. You know, give me that hammer, nail, give me it. And I, and I just start going and I have, you know, that's not very wise. I need to go back and start from the beginning. And it's one thing to operate this way when you're constructing a a raised garden bed or a dresser, but it's a whole other thing to live your life this way. To no, do no measuring, to do no hearing and listening, but to just merely be cutting. Another form of a fool who doesn't hear is the, the person who 
only listens and hears what they want to hear. The person who is unable to take in data points that might challenge their preconceived notions. It's like the leader who is, surrounds themselves with yes men and women. And anyone who challenges their perspective, anyone who challenges them with a dose of reality or conflicting perspective is then dismissed, insulted, sent away. That is, that is foolish leadership. It's also the person or Christian, if we could apply this a little closer to home, who only hears the words of Jesus that reinforce their American Christian cultural sensibilities. Friends, if we are going to follow Jesus faithfully, if, if we're going to seek to, as we see in a moment, apply what he's saying, we need to hear his word. And not just hear the teachings and applications of his word that you know, make us feel a little better about ourselves, maybe a little bit of challenge, but then inoculate us to the ways that we need to really pursue change? No, no, we need to hear his word. And that will be uncomfortable. And that will challenge our, our sensibilities. You know, Jesus has a word. He has some teachings, and it requires it requires humility and a posture of receiving and discerning. Jesus, what is your word? Not what is the American evangelical teaching of your word. What is your word? And Jesus has one. Jesus has a word about power. Jesus has a word right here. The whole Sermon on the Mount addresses the concept of, of power. Jesus has a word about anger and abuse. Jesus has a word. Jesus has a word about the treatment of those who you do not agree with. He has a word about retaliation. Jesus has a word. Jesus has a word about prayer and authentic spirituality. His word is, don't be putting on a show. God, God sees through the image projection, he has a word. Jesus has a word about money. He has a word about material possessions. He has a word about how we relate to people who think and act differently than we do. He has a word. And friends, it's often not unclear. The question is, are we going to hear it? Do you hear and listen to the master builder's instruction or do you cherry pick what you want to hear. And then that leads to the, the wise builder hears and applies the master builder's instruction. I mean, look at our text. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them is like a foolish man who builds his house on a sand. Now, it's interesting because Jesus, he doesn't say the fool doesn't hear. He actually says the fool hears and does not do. Now, of course, Jesus says this because people would have been hearing the message and they heard what Jesus said. They heard his words. So they had, they had no excuse any longer. 
Because they heard. They need to make the choice of, are they going to do what they heard? Or are they going to merely hear? And sad to say, if you've made it this far in the sermon, you've in some sense heard some of the words of Jesus. And if you've grown up in the church and you've been a part of tracking with it at Scarlet City, I, I, I want to try to put it gently, but it bring forth the force that Jesus gives. We are out of excuses. We are out of excuses. If we are not applying his word, we are out of excuses. You know, if you were a construction project manager and you're overseeing the construction of a home building and you hire your construction workers and and maybe you apprentice them and you teach them and you you give a packet a manual on how to do it how to how to dig out and pour a foundation how to build the right beams to support the structure how to drywall and and put in the plumbing and electricity you teach them you give them the manual you you help them do it and you our construction project manager, so you go to, to another place to teach others and lead another project, and, and you return to that place, and you show up, and you pull up, and they're the workers. They're all there, and they're huddled up. No home, no structure built. You're wondering what's happening. You wonder, maybe they forgot. Maybe they didn't get the manual. Maybe they lost it. You you show up, you say, hey, what's happened? I, I taught you. I, I gave you the manual. You, you know what to do. Have you just disregarded? Did you just not hear? And they say, no, no, we heard. We, we have the manual. We've spent the last several months memorizing it. Oh, yes, we've been memorizing, and we've been pouring over, and we've been learning, and we've been reading this, this good, these, this Bible of how to build a home. And, and even we went beyond just the, the learning to critiquing other homes. Yes, we see these other buildings being constructed. They, they are not, not going to withstand. We, we see your instruction, but yeah. what, would the, what would the project manager say? He would say, you missed the point. I didn't, want, I didn't want you to just read and memorize. And I'm not flattered by that because the whole point was not to study how to build a home, but to build a home. Friends, many of us are devoting our lives to merely studying the Bible as if Memorizing and studying is the goal. It's not. It's not the goal. Jesus gives us his word, not merely so we can learn and study it and feel a little more puffed up with our knowledge. No. He gives it to us so that we live it, so that we construct. James puts it this way, the brother of Jesus, he, they, you see, you know, this is a little comforting knowing we're not the only ones who had this temptation. He puts it this way in James chapter 1. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and, and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at it himself and he goes away at once, forgetting what he was like. James says, look, you know, you're not going to look at yourself in the mirror and, and see your hair all disheveled and, you know, a, a 
booger hanging out of your nose and and just look in the mirror and say, okay, who can, you know, go about my day. You know, the whole point of the mirror is to reflect what you look like so that you can make the changes necessary. God gives us his word, not so that we can just grow in knowledge, but so that we can apply what we learn. Are you a hearer only? Do you, again, thinking of the construction image, are you always measuring but never cutting? Afraid of action? Or do you cut, you listen, you learn, or you measure, you listen, you learn, and then you cut, you act. The wise builder prepares for the storm. They, they hear the master builder's instruction. They, they apply it. They are doing it. And then lastly, the wise builder evaluates the strength of the foundation. Verse 24, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them is like a wise man who builds his house on a rock. Builds his house on a rock. The rain fell, the flood came, and the winds beat against the house, but it did not collapse because its foundation had been laid on rock. You know, the thing that pain and storms do is they reveal the strength of the foundation. Friends, in, in this season of disruption and chaos and storm, I, I, I think it's wise. It's wise, wise to, to reflect, to consider the foundation on which we're building our life. What can lead to flourishing? What can lead to healing and, and wholeness and a life that weathers the storms? And this is what Jesus does on the Sermon on the Mount. He presents a contrast. A contrast between a life built on self a life built on self, and one views power and relationships and money and even their own walk with God through the lens of self and self-promotion. Jesus calls it, this is the kingdom of man, the kingdom of our world that says your flourishing is tied to you getting what you want. Your flourishing is tied to having the power to manipulate others for your selfish ends. Your flourishing is accumulating possessions for yourself. Your flourishing is tied to you judging the actions of others in a, in a way of, of, of self-protection and defense. This is the kingdom of mankind. He says, there's, a, there's another way of living, another foundation. It is the foundation of Christ. The foundation of Jesus and the gospel. And in this foundation, there's a whole new way of viewing power, as we've said, of viewing 
our sexuality, of, of viewing money, possessions, treatment of other, the, the behaviors of others, the whole new way of, of living with all of life when Jesus becomes your foundation. And, and as we come to a, a close here in our, our message, friends, when Jesus becomes the rock, when he becomes your foundation, there's now a whole new perspective, a whole new way of constructing a life that can enable you to withstand the storms. And, and it's not, don't just take my word for it. If when we, we, are, we have the privilege of looking back and seeing the way Jesus' followers have constructed lives for generations. And there's so much beauty and there's so much fruit. When Jesus becomes our, our rock and foundation, we learn that, that we can now, we can now enter into life and we can call out the beauty. We can be people of gratitude who look at the flowers that bloom and can be in awe of, of the creator. That there is beauty. There is goodness and beauty. But we can also look at the brokenness. We can look at the evil and injustice and death. And, and we can call it for what it is, that it is wrong. Not just because it offends my modern sensibilities, but it is wrong because it contradicts that creator's beautiful plan. That every person is created in the image of God and, and they it is, it is wrong, wrong for a knee to go into their neck taking their life. That is wrong whether I think so or not. It's wrong because there is a God who is just we can acknowledge the beauty and the brokenness. When Jesus becomes your rock, your cornerstone, now, now you can lament and have hope. When we see the evil and injustice, we can cry out to God. We can lament. We can grieve. But we do not grieve without hope. We do not grieve without a God who hears our plight and in whom we trust to do the things we cannot do. We can walk into the storms that life brings our way, social and personal. We can, we can face death and we can be sad and we can grieve, but we are not people who grieve without the hope of future resurrection. We lament but we do not wallow in our pain, no. We rejoice because there is a God who sent his son into the world to die on the cross and who overcame death and all who place their faith in him will have eternal life. And lastly, when Christ becomes our rock, we can act. We can act. We understand that we are God's extension, his kingdom people bringing his kingdom into the world today. We can fight for justice. We can work. We can be a redeeming presence. Partnering with God and His Holy Spirit, giving us the courage to address the things that are so hard to address. But we can rest. Because we know our standing before God is not in our ability to construct this life, to figure it all out, to be perfect, but the one perfect master builder entered into this world and he died 
on the rock of Calvary so that sinners like you and me who are fumbling around in this storm-ridden world can find a refuge. And so we rest in His work and then motivated by that love and grace we work. What foundation are you constructing your life on that allows you to weather the storms that will come? As we close our time today, I want to invite you for, to take some time of prayerful reflection. To reflect, of these four things we mentioned, are you living your life not preparing for the storm? Are you not hearing? Are you not listening? Are you not applying? Are you not evaluating the foundation on which you're building? Let's pray. Father, thank you for being a God who is a creator, and you are a God of construction. You do not send us into the world as cynics to deconstruct. You send us into the world as creators to construct a life on your Son that enables us to live and flourish, not apart from pain in the storms, but in the midst of the pains and storms that will come. And God, it's it's hard. It is, it is hard, and we feel many times inadequate. And so we beg you, please send your Spirit to illumine our minds so that we may love what you love and grieve what grieves you and strengthen our hands that we may apply what your Spirit brings to mind. It's in your Son's name, and by the power of that Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.